All right, welcome to this edition of the General Manager Podcast. My name is Aaron Thomas, <laughs> a.k.a. Native Seahawk. My gosh, my gosh. Going into this game, did you think that Seattle would have to score 40 points to be able to beat a what was then a 2-5 and five team coming home to your backyard to try to come in and try to take the food off of your table? Do you think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers could have forced the issue for Seattle to have to score 40 points? I didn't. Uh, although after the first quarter of this game, I was like, okay, Seattle's going to have to win this game by at least getting 35 points or more. And sure as heck, Seattle did. 40-34 to 34 is your score as your Seattle Seahawks move to 7-2 and two on the season. And this is just um, uh, an aberration is what I would say. I guess I'm not saying that. I'm asking, is this an aberration? Although throughout the entire season, the Seahawks have not played probably to their best abilities yet, which is still kind of scary if you think about it. If you look at the glasses half full kind of mentality, the Seahawks, although haven't they haven't played very to their their best capacity, best capabilities, are still seven wins and two losses on the season. So let's delve into some statistics right away. Let's get right into the quarterbacks because this is a quarterback-driven league, and these are some of the the best stats of the day. And it was definitely a shootout if you look at it statistically with Jameis Winston who before this game was either a Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde kind of a player. You know, he did throw five interceptions in a game this season. And, but then, of course, in the two wins that they were able to, to get, they played and won and beat the Carolina Panthers. They also played and won and beat the Los Angeles Rams. So you go, wow, this team can play with the big boys. Unfortunately, though, they had five losses coming into the season, and a lot of that was because Winston just could not keep the ball out of the opponent's hands. He was throwing footballs right into the, the zones, right into double coverage, uh, fumbling when he was uh, being attacked by a defensive lineman. Today, though, why is it, though? Why is it that things could happen wrong away from Seattle, but once they come to play Seattle, it's like they're almost flawless? especially in Seattle. Now, we'll get into the home field advantage discussion later on in the podcast. But Jameis Winston, 29 of 44, 335 total yards in the air, seven yards per throw, per reception, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He did get sacked twice, but he did have a a triple-digit rating, quarterback rating of 103. Conversely, Russell Wilson where would this team be in Seattle? Where would, what would Seattle's record be if it wasn't for Russell Wilson having the probably one of the best campaigns a Seahawks quarterback has ever had? Definitely his best, best campaign in 2019 so far. 29 of 43. He had to throw it 43 times. Although, you know, these are a little ballooned because of the, the final uh, overtime uh, period. 378 yards. Eight yards, almost nine yards per reception. Five touchdowns, no interceptions. He was sacked three times and did have a quarterback rating of 133.7. So he's averaging right around 131 a game, which, again, that's 
it's MVP like you just you haven't seen this. Uh, well, you've seen this last year with Mahomes, but yeah, Russell Wilson. I I would imagine Seattle would be at least two and seven, maybe even one and eight, without Russell Wilson having the the season of his life. And so you take a look at again the some of the other statistics, the running game. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were held to less than 100 yards on the ground, which is key because this defense has always been predicated so far, even though I'm going to talk about the defense, what I think needs to, do, to be done there. Um, but they've always been a really good rushing defense. Uh, they held Ronald Jones to 67 yards on the ground, 18 carries, about a little, a little under four yards per carry. He did get that one touchdown. And then after that, there's just nobody else that really did much for Tampa Bay. On the flip side, in Seattle, your Chris Carson uh, did have a, a solid game, less the fumbles. And, you know, after your, the second fumble and he lost it, I thought, gosh, every time he got the ball in his hands, I just kept saying, hold on to it, hold on to it. People are like, well, you know, he only got three yards. I said, yeah, but he held on to it. <laughs> Do not lose more fumbles, Chris Carson, please. Uh, as a team, though, Seattle did rush for 145 yards, which is another key to this victory, mainly because coming into this game, Tampa Bay was in the top 10 for rushing defense themselves. So really good game on the ground for your Seattle Seahawks. Russell did get one carry for 21 yards, a really big scramble for a first down there in the fourth quarter to extend the drive. And so really, really good game on the offense of side. You got on the receiving end, Seattle could not stop Mike Evans. And I, I don't get what, I mean, I'm going to get to the defense later, but he had 12 receptions, 180 yards, 15 yards per carry and a touchdown. Uh, probably by, you know, should have had three or four touchdowns in this game, the way he was playing and the way that Seattle just could not stop him. Uh, Chris Godwin had seven receptions for 61 yards and so on and so forth. On the other side, Tyler Lockett could not be stopped either. Uh, and he matches uh, almost close to uh, Mike Evans. And statistically, he had 13 receptions, 152 yards, receiving 11 yards per carry. Uh, he did have two touchdowns as long as it was a 30-yard reception. So he was targeted 18 times and uh, did get 13 receptions on the day. Uh, DK Metcalf, wow, this, the kid continues to, you know, I, from, in, my, in my opinion, DK Metcalf is definitely up for Rookie of the Year this season. Six receptions, 123 yards, receiving 20 yards per carry, or per reception, one touchdown. He had that monster 53-yard reception. So he was targeted nine times and got six receptions. And then Jacob Hollister, the tight end that we got uh, late in the uh, preseason for, I believe, a seventh-round pick to New England. And I, I liked him when I, was, when I watched, got to watch him in training camp. I was like, I love Jacob Hollister. He just seems he's, he's really, really fast. He's got incredible hands, uh, especially for a tight end he can catch. Uh, four receptions, 37 yards, nine yards per reception and two big touchdowns. You, you know, earlier in this season, I was kept saying, who else is going to step up for this receiving core? You, you know, you didn't have Doug Baldwin. He's gone. He's retired. Tyler Lockett can't do this by himself. And then, so now you got 
uh, two guys that I thought at the beginning of the season did have a really legit chance to contribute in this offense, and it's showing out. DK Metcalf, Jacob Hollister, both had monster games today. Both had a combined three touchdowns on the game. And, and you know, Seattle doesn't feature their running backs in the passing game, which a lot of offenses do in the NFL. And, you know, it remains to be seen why they don't because I still think Chris Carson and Penny both have really legitimate good hands out of the backfield. Uh, but, you know, now that you got Gordon coming in next week, you've got Ed Dixon, Dixon coming back off the injured reserve list, you know, those are going to add some more uh, splash to the offense and especially the receiving core. And so uh, we'll talk a little bit later in the podcast as what does – the additions of those two guys mean for the rest of the season, who gets cut, who is uh, not going to be on this team or released because you can't trade them anymore. The trade deadline already ended uh, last week. So on the defensive side, you look at Tampa Bay, uh, Devin White had 12 tackles, uh, half a sack. He got, he got to Russell and, and hit him twice. And Levante David was another beast in there for Tampa Bay. He had nine tackles. Uh, a sack and two tackles for a loss and a quarterback hit. Uh, after that, you really didn't, you know, some of their big guys I thought for sure was going to have a really uh, kind of a mammoth game against our offensive line because that's always been, you know, Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, and Dominican Sue only had three tackles. He had no sacks, so that's a, a good testimony to um, Joey Hunt, you know, the, the kid that uh, everybody called little Joey Hunt for so long is playing big. And, uh, yeah, him, uh, JPB had a pretty good game, three tackles, half a sack, uh, one pass defense. He did have three quarterback hits uh, coming back. I guess it's his second game back from uh, coming back from the injured reserve list. So uh, Vita Vea, he was a beast, too. Uh, I really liked watching him. Uh, he had three tackles, a solo t- one solo tackle, no sacks, and one quarterback hit. In Seattle, Bobby Wagner... 11 tackles, six solo. He did have that great sack in the fourth quarter. They finally sent him on a blitz and was able to get to Winston. He had one tackle for a loss, one quarterback hit. K.J. Wright, 10 tackles, six solo, one pass defense. And then Shaquille Griffin had nine tackles. So on the defensive side, again, um, let's talk about that because... Uh, and then we'll get into special teams and everything and, and what I think. Well, okay, let's get into special teams because uh, well, I want to talk more about what I think is going to have to happen in the future here for Seattle to be able to play against uh, an undefeated San Francisco team on Monday night. And then uh, after that, too, there's going to be some big games. So uh, on special teams, you know, nothing really to write home about. Uh, you know, the punt returning was decent on both sides. And, it's, of course, uh, Jason Myers is still, uh, what are we going to do? How do we go forward with Jason Myers? Do you keep him on the team? Do you, you know, send him packing? You know, I bet a lot of this is predicated on money, you know, whether or not they're going to keep him or not, because he does have some guaranteed money coming, um, which would then be dead money. And so, uh, and then who else is out there? Are there any other kickers that are kind of just sitting at home? I joked about Jenikowski uh, Seabass coming back, you know, and, and, you know, only having to play half a season, maybe that's what he, all he can really do for you. Um, but, uh, I don't know. He was two for four. Jason Myers was two for four 
on the day. Uh, he missed an extra point as well. Uh, you know, of course, Jason Myers hits one of those two that he missed. Uh, Seattle wins the game. They don't have to go to overtime and la, la, la. Um, so let's talk about going forward because um, as much as I'm, I'm such a homer, I really am. I'm going to be the first to tell you I don't um, pretend to hide my, my Seahawkness, uh, my love for the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, I think for the most part, I'm definitely an apologist uh, for John Schneider. I'm an apologist for um, uh, Pete Carroll and all of his coordinators. And I've been a, uh, an apologist for Ken Norton as our defensive coordinator. But you know what? I'm done with that. I, I posted that. I tweeted that out earlier during the game that something doesn't smell right on the defense. Is it a lack of details that Ken Norton is, is failing to do with his guys? You have some of the best defensive guys that, that Schneider could get uh, that didn't cost us an arm and a leg. And yet, I don't get this. I still, I just, I cannot for the life of me understand why Seattle is consistently giving up 300 yards or more to the, to the passers. Uh, Schaub, what did Schaub have? Almost 400 yards or a little over 400 last week. Why is that? You know, okay, yeah, they're doing really well against the run. I think that, that again, is, is part of the signature about Pete Carroll, you know. I'm going to run the ball and down your throat, and I'm going to stop your run on the other side. That has always been Coach's uh, M.O. And so what does Ken Norton have to do to adjust? You know, I know that I, earlier this week, was hoping that the Seahawks defense, you know, would show up and show out and say, well, you've got a, a, a somewhat average team uh, who did who did." you know, win some pretty big games against some pretty big teams this year. There are no slouches, but they're not an above average team in Tampa Bay. They're just not. So I figured, okay, they're going to come into Seattle. They're going to, you know, mix up the defensive scheme. They're going to, you know, maybe they decided that they wanted to stay in their base defense uh, throughout the, the season so that they didn't give away, you know, that they have got something underneath their sleeve when they play against the Niners, when they go in, you know, the second half of the, and make their run towards the Super Bowl, that they have something, uh, you know, up their sleeve and, and that they can really expose their offense, uh, you know, the offenses that they're playing. That's what I was hoping was going to happen. And it was going to start with this game. And maybe I'm a week too early in that thinking. Maybe it's going to be next week, you know. But I openly didn't see anything today that made me feel like that's the case. Instead, I feel like this is pretty much what Ken Norton has drawn up for the season, that with between him and Pete Carroll trying to figure out, you know, how to utilize the guys that they have because, you know, there's no reason why the defensive ends on this team should not, you know, come out of this game with at least a sack, uh, both Ziggy Ansah and Clowney. For the game, Ziggy Ansah, one tackle. And then a bunch of zeros to the right of that. No sacks, no quarterback hits, etc. Then you look at uh, Jevy Clowney. Two, two total tackles. He did have one tackle for a loss. Should have had two. We saw that where the, the wide receiver was able to get, I think it was Godwin, 
was able to slip off away from a, it was a wide receiver screen and Clowney was in the backfield and should have wrapped him up, but he overpursued, and Godwin was able to get out of there and get five yards when it should have been a loss of five. So uh, Jevy Clowney, yeah, he had no quarterback hits today. Puna Ford, three tackles. He did get one quarterback hit. So who got the sacks? Bobby Wagner on a blitz and Michael Kendricks on a blitz. That was it. That's your two sacks. And then on the quarterback hits, three total quarterback hits on the, on the game. And Winston had time. He wasn't throwing uh, uh, the ball like in one and a half steps and throwing. He was back there quite a bit. I mean, I'm not going to say he was sitting there back there eating a sandwich, but, you know, something needs to give. And, and, and so you take a look at the scheme, and they're doing the base. They, they like the fact that they've got three really fast linebackers and smart linebackers. That's what they're really trying to do is keep Michael Kendricks on the field as much as they can. Most teams, they only play with two linebackers and they bring in, a, a, you know, like a, a safety or another cornerback to play the nickel. And, you know, but Seattle has always employed this thing called the NASCAR defense, where it's just, you never know which side of the line there's going to be pressure. And, you know, you'd have uh, guys buzzing around in the backfield, you know, chasing the quarterback or getting into the running back's ear. And on this, and this, this has not happened all season. You know, we're nine games in, more than halfway through the season, and you have not seen any kind of creativity on this defense. I mean, at least on the offense, we had seen some really some some good adjustments. You know, Shoddy's doing a good job on as offensive coordinator, and he's able to to really draw up some good stuff. That you know, that second and twenty-two play that you know, you're like oh gosh, you know, he's just gonna you know basically pack it in try to get as many yards as they can before they punt. Well, he was able to draw something up for Lockett, and they were able to protect Russell enough for uh, Russell to drop a dime uh, into Lockett's hands and get 24 yards on that one uh, fly pattern that they did. And so you, you see that. He's adjusting to what he has. I don't see that happening on the other side of the ball. I don't see where Ken Norton is doing anything more than just sort of maybe rah-rahing his defense, his base defense, and not using any real creativity. Uh, they, don't, they don't blitz very often, but when they do, it's very effective, so why don't they do it more? It's that kind of stuff that frustrates me. And again, I'm not a coach. I, I, I pretend that I am sometimes, and I feel like a lot of us as uh, you know, quarterback, uh, uh, sofa quarterbacks, we think that we can you know, play this game from 15,000 uh, miles away watching it on TV, but we can't. And so we leave it up to our own eyes. We leave it up to what we're seeing uh, around the NFL because a lot of us don't just watch the Seahawks. We like watching Sunday night football and Monday night football and, you know, getting the red zone package and looking at all the other games. And so something needs to give. If Seattle's going to have to play, they're going to have to go through San Francisco, unfortunately, and literally next week. And, and you know, do whatever they can to win in San Francisco. If they played like they did today, they will not beat that Niners defense. They won't. And you know, that's Seattle's. Like right now, it's Seattle's strength is Russell Wilson. If you take Russell out of the equation and you buzz saw him and make him run and try to try to improvise, he's done really well this year. But 
I say that if they don't protect Russell Wilson next week, they're going to lose the game, period. And so do, you, we, do I have any faith that Ken Norton and this defense can play Jimmy Garoppolo and in their base defense and maybe blitz him, you know, one or two percent of the game on defensive snaps and win the game? That They can't. They need Jimmy to be running for his life. And, you know, and so getting back to the, the, the big pink elephant in the living room is asking ourselves, why isn't that defensive line getting any pressure? I'm not saying they have to get to the quarterback. If you look at some of the most successful defenses, like in New England and other, other um, ball clubs, their, their defenses aren't sacking the quarterback every once every four plays, but they are getting into the, the mindset of that quarterback. And they're wondering whether or not that they're going to get sacked. And, and so that's what Seattle's needing. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a dance between the defensive line, the linebackers, and, of course, the secondary. And if the secondary is playing up on the, the, the receivers and they're impeding their path at the line of scrimmage and have, making it harder for them to try to break and get into their routes that gives the defensive line that half a second that they need to get into the backfield and at least create the, that, that pressure, create that, that hurry, and get to the quarterback and hit them. That's what we're missing right now, this dance. And, and, and can Ken can Norton, can he re, you know, create a system by which that, 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 that can be increased? I, I just don't have that feeling that he can. I don't, and I want to be. I want to be the first one to say I need to eat my words because of that. I do, because that means I'm wrong. That means Seattle's winning, and they're back to their top ten defense that we're so accustomed to having in Seattle. I do. I want. I want to be the first one to apologize and say it. But you know what? Through nine games, this isn't like through the four preseason games or through the first four regular season games. I, I, you know, again, I've been apologizing for Ken Norton this entire season, and I think it needs to change. And I don't know what that means. You know, does it mean Pete Carroll just needs to take over the defense from now on and start playing, you know, his his path and and making the decisions on which defensive schemes we're going to use? And game plan? I don't know. I think if you're Pete Carroll, I think you're going to have to seriously consider doing that. Pete's been a defensive coordinator in this league. He understands defenses probably, you know, more. Or he understands offenses probably one of the, the top-tier coaches in the NFL. He could do it. And then just relegate Ken Norton down back to being the linebacker's coach. Like he did really well in back in 13 when we went to the Super Bowl and won it. That's exactly what I think needs to happen. Pete Carroll needs to step up and take control of this defense. Get the headset on and let's go. You know, let's get, you know, make him do the game plan for the week. Make him be out there and executing. I think those guys would play harder, especially on the defensive line. Because I've noticed it. Have you guys seen it? Where some of the guys are taking plays off. That is, again, part of the details I'm talking about. Um, they're, they're, the the penalties on the defenses, especially on the defensive line, has gone way down. You know, they're not doing the offsides as much the last few games. I think Jevy 
Clowney did it a few times in the last two games. But other than short of him, that defense has done a pretty darn good job in terms of being disciplined. But when it comes to the scheme is what I'm talking about. When it comes to the details of the scheme, there was a, a, a late in the fourth quarter on that last uh, drive by Tampa Bay to tie it up, there was uh, some miscommunication on the defense. That can't happen. You know, that's Bobby Wagner's fault. As the captain of that defense, he needs to make sure everybody knows what their, what their job is on that next play. And if people are looking around, I saw Jevy Clowney kind of turn around into the camera, and he's like looking right into us at home. And he's kind of, But he's really looking at Bobby like, what am I supposed to be doing right here? I have no idea what this play is. That can't happen. And maybe that's part of this, why the defense isn't getting to the quarterback is because the defensive line is having a really hard time understanding their role, understanding the language of the defense. Maybe that's part of it. But yeah, um, something needs to happen with that defense. If Seattle's going to go deep into the playoffs, if they're going to make it to the playoffs, because they have, according to ESPN before this game, uh, earlier this week, they reported that Seattle has the toughest schedule going forward based on win-loss records of the teams for this year. Not last year's records, but this year's win-loss records. So the, the, the hill, the, the mountain that they have to climb is, is greater, but it's even more great when you got guys who are not performing to their ceiling. They're not performing to their football card and the statistics that they normally do. And that's all I'm looking for right now is to get this defense back on track. You know, cut those yards down in the air. You know, the only way you do that is to, court, you know, pressure the quarterback. You know, put him on his butt and make sure that he doesn't beat you through the air. Um, what they're doing on the on rushing plays has been pretty good. Like I said, top 10. But when it comes to passing and giving up, you know, 15, 14 yards, on third down, when it's third and long, those are backbreakers, man. Those are momentum killers. And that used to be something, you know, even last year, in the years before, it would be third and seven. And there was a 70% chance in my mind that Seattle was going to make sure that they didn't get the seven yards. Maybe they got six. But this year, third and seven is, is a cakewalk against this defense because of the air yards that the quarterbacks are able to be able to, 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 to do throughout the game. It's, those are the things that I think if Seattle can, can show, you know, clean up, they can get to the quarterback, they can you know, be able to um, pressure him or, you know, to, to get off the field, then I think you got it. Then you got a pretty special team here. And you, know, you still got your, your great punter, you know, Michael Dixon had an amazing punt today. Uh, thank God he only had to punt three times. Tampa had to punt four times. So not a whole lot of punting in this game. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, of points, 74 points scored between the two teams. Now let's get to Jason Myers because that's the other thing that we have to clean up is the kicking. And so you wonder, as a coach, is it the special teams coach that needs to be fired or do we need somebody else to take the... No, I don't think that's what the case is. Jason Myers needs to have, from here on out, clean games for Seattle to keep confidence in him. Do you honestly believe that, you know, near the end of the overtime, before we scored the touchdown, that the guys on the offensive 
side of the ball that they trusted Jason Myers with a, a five-yard or 15-yard field goal to win the game or to at least go up. No, I don't think any of them did. And I wouldn't have either. I didn't either. Jason Myers has lost the confidence in himself. And the only way that that gets cleaned up is Jason Myers has to do that for himself. There's nothing any one of us or his coaches, his wife, or anybody can do for him. This is, a, as a kicker, this, you're either highly celebrated or highly uh, you know, criticized for your job because, you know what, that's all the thing you have to do. The only thing you need to do out there is kick that damn ball and be accurate with it and have that confidence like you were when you were in high school and in college and in drafted. He was a, he was a, a pro bowler last year for the Jets. This, this guy is just, he's really, you know, quite frankly, he's pissing all of us off. But he needs to get it back together because we need him. If Seattle's going to go deep in, this, in the playoffs, get to, back to the Super Bowl, they need their kicker to be confident again. And again, I, I think throughout this season, I've been asking, you know, does, does Seattle have its identity back? Are they the, you know, the, the bullies, the bruisers like they used to be? Or are they, have they lost their way? And, you know, they played Atlanta last week and they're, you know, they're really focused on their offense. That's what really is happening now. And, you know, it, it's up to that offense to score. Now, at the beginning of the season, I said they needed to score thir- uh, 21 points. That I thought that the defense would score at least 20, or the defense would give up 20 points. And if Seattle scored 21, they'd win more games than lose. And now that number is way up because this defense isn't, uh, you know, they, they bend and then now they're breaking. They used to just bend. Now they're starting to break a little bit and allow um, points on the board. So now that number for me is like 28. Russell's got to score 28. Chris Carson's got to score, you know, they all have to work together to score 28 points. And now you have a kicker that you really can't trust anymore. At least he, he's going to have to earn that in the next, you know, throughout the rest of the season as we get to the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, it's going to be Russell's team. This is it. I, I hate to say it. Russell and that offensive line and then working along with Chris Carson and balancing that offense, you can't trust Jason Myers. You can't trust that defense to stop the offenses, you know, from scoring. You can't. So... In order for you to do this, Russell Wilson's got to score 28 points. Chris Carson needs to be a part of that. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. And now you get Josh Gordon. Let's talk about the, the additions of the two guys coming this week. Josh Gordon, again, a lot of us uh, lauded it and applauded it, I should say. The, the claim that they got uh, from the waiver wires. He, you know, Josh Gordon, um, in order for him to play in the NFL, had to... Um, be able to pass and, and all the other teams had the ones that have worse records in Seattle had a chance to put a waiver in for him and claim him and say we want him on our team and we're willing to pay him the the remaining left on his contract which is a little over a million dollars this season I believe it might be the, the the league minimum so you know with the with the rewards there's a huge risk with Josh Gordon yes the reward side is he's got great hands he's got he runs routes really really well um, he dives for balls. He, you know, he's just fast. He just, he's another locket. 
He can get uh, a step or two ahead of the defenders normally. And so why did the other teams, I guess it was 27 other teams say no to Josh Gordon? That's to me is the biggest question about Josh Gordon. And the Seahawks brass alluded to it a little bit this week saying, I think it was yesterday that they feel like they have the staff to be able to manage Josh Gordon. So what does that mean? You know, is this like they have to babysit Josh Gordon? I think I remember seeing that a few years ago when Josh Gordon got reinstated by the NFL for uh, substance abuse uh, policy that he broke. You know, he tested positive for weed. And so what I believe the team did was they hired a group of men to basically be um, Josh Gordon's mentor and to basically babysit him is what that means. I mean, I hate, I hate to say it like that, but it's the truth. And so they were able to do that. And, and he, was, he had a successful rest of the season, um, broke a lot of Brown's records and did really, really well. I think that was back in 2012 or 13 um, when that happened. And so can the Seahawks brass manage Josh Gordon? Can he feel supportive enough, supported enough in this offense and on this team, by the fan base, by uh, the, the owners, all the way down to uh, the coordinators and uh, those that are on the sidelines. I think they can. Seattle's a very special place to play. And a lot of guys love coming to Seattle. I guess Seattle was one of the teams that Josh had on his short list of teams that he would like to go play for. And so that's a good thing. You want your guy to feel good about coming to your new team. And so he just wasn't ready right this, this week. And um, I guess he's definitely going to be making his debut next week in Santa Clara um, against the 49ers on Monday Night Football. So then in order for Josh Gordon to get on the team, they had to waive the brand new defensive end that we got. Um, one of the guys, uh, Watson, uh, who is no longer with the team to make room for Josh Gordon. So then you get Ed Dixon. And so... I think today's game was a kind of a confusing thing going forward. I think, you know, it had Hollister not had two touchdowns, including the game-winning touchdown, I think it would have been pretty easy to say, okay, Hollister, you're going to go back to the practice squad. We got Luke Wilson. We got Ed Dixon. You got George Fant. And that's your tight end room. But um, now that Hollister came on, and, you know, do you, you go with the hot hand next week in, in Santa Clara? Do you leave Hollister in? Because the one thing that happened during this game was Luke Wilson got injured. And so I haven't heard any other um, injury news yet on uh, this game other than Luke Wilson hurting his rib cage. But, you know, does he go on the injury reserve list and Ed Dixon comes back in? That's probably what's going to have to have to happen. I love Luke Wilson. I think he's a uh, legitimate you know, player, especially in the, in the locker room. Um, he's been uh, pretty consistently good this year in limited action with Seattle. But Ed Dixon is a proven commodity. Yes, he's older. He got injured and, and you know, had to miss, you know, eight, nine games this season. But he knows how to run block. He knows how to catch in the middle of the field. Um, he's a big target in the red zone. And he's a proven veteran. You, you really can't beat that. And so his, his averages um, would fit really, really good on this offensive line or this offensive uh, scheme that we're in and, and the offensive line. Like I said, he knows how to block. 
And so um, I really think that's probably what's going to have to happen is Luke Wilson is either going to be, um, you know, uh, injured reserved for the season or outright released. Um, we'll see. And they, they can always do an injury settlement if that's the case for Luke Wilson. But I like Luke Wilson a lot. I openly, uh, this season, um, I did have Hollister at the beginning of the season making the team because I thought that he was another guy, like I said, he's got great hands, he's got great speed, um, and he could catch almost everything. His catch radius is really good, really, really, really good. So um, we'll see how that all pans out. But that's it for me here on the General Manager Podcast. Again, my game balls. Uh, of course, Russell Wilson gets a game ball. Tyler Lockett gets a game ball. DK Metcalf gets a game ball. And, of course, Jacob Hollister gets a game ball. Um, I was going to give one to Chris Carson, but if he didn't fumble uh, twice and then lose one, I probably would have uh, given him one. On the defensive side, I can't openly say that I can give one a true game ball to any of the guys on the, the defensive side. I really don't feel that I could do that. Uh, you know, Bobby statistically did really well, but, you know, I still think Bobby uh, is something going on with him. I think he's he's playing really, he's playing well, but I don't think he's playing to his capacity. And I have no idea why. I have no no clue why that is or what I mean by that even. But I don't know if, again, if it's scheme, they're not scheming him correctly. It just feels like he's, you see him, He's, he's not making plays. I guess that's the biggest thing. He had a really good sack today. They schemed it right. They were able to get him in through the middle of the, of the um, line of scrimmage uh, up the middle to get the sack. But after that, it was kind of hit or miss. You know, he was uh, uh, playing zone, and, and there's only one guy near him, and he stayed off of him to pass him off to another linebacker, but then the linebacker wasn't there, so he had to go clean it up. It's that kind of stuff. I just figure, you know, if you're going to be the top linebacker and the, you know, get paid number one in the NFL, you got to play like it. And I don't think he's the number one linebacker in the NFL this year. I haven't looked at any statistics to back up my comments, but just my eyeball test is telling me that even last year was his better year. And he just made plays. He was intercepting, he was pass defensing better as there's something not right with this defensive scheme and I just don't get it I don't know I can't put my finger on it but I think that's where it begins is Bobby Wagner the captain of your defense need, we need to figure him out first and everything else I think will fall better into place especially on that defensive line so all right I will be in Santa Clara next Monday watching the game so I'm hoping uh, to be able to do this on Monday night at the uh, airport uh, to fly back into the Palm Springs area on Monday night. It'll be Veterans Day on Monday, so I want to just give a special salute to all of our veterans, those that are active and those that uh, have retired, and if, especially our veterans that have passed. I know we do a, a whole different um, holiday for the ones that, that we remember, but um, my dad is a, a Vietnam veteran, and my late grandfather was a, a World War II veteran. I got my cousin Robert, who uh, was a Desert Storm veteran, and then my brother, Nathan, is also a veteran. So um, just want to give a shout out to all our veterans uh, for next Monday's Veterans Day game. It's going to be one to watch. I, I almost guarantee it. Uh, you know, uh, this will be one of the, the, the best uh, teams that San Francisco has had to play this year. You know, they're 8-0, but I've been saying they've had an extended preseason. And now they've got a team that they match up really well against. And 
Um, it should be a close game. I don't know how close or if it's going to be like this one where it may be, I hope it doesn't go in overtime because I have to catch a flight. <laughs> I'm a little, uh, you know, being a little selfish there, but I just want to win. Whether Seattle does it like the way they've been doing all season or they find a, 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 a better way to win, just get the W. That's all we want. Continue winning every game, go 1-0. And they're doing much better on the road than they are at home. So um, hopefully that'll uh, mean something on Monday night, but we'll see. All right, that'll do it from here. My name is Aaron Thomas, a.k.a. Native Seahawk. Go Hawks!